If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hey, everybody. Today here Auto Talks through episode 25 of the podcast. I'm going to be doing something a little bit different today. Since Origins is coming up on, what is it, June 14th to the 18th in Columbus, Ohio, I figured I would spend the first half of this podcast doing a Games of Interest at the show for people who might be going. Of course, it's going to be applicable for everybody. Even if you're not going to be in Ohio this month, you'll probably be interested in all these games a little bit later on if you're anything like me. So, first half is going to be that, and then second half will be the Q&A with Jen. And next month, we'll get back to regular games of interest. I had a much shorter list than normal this month, and we'll also catch up with top tens and all that. Right. Sound like a plan? Then hang on, everybody. We'll be right back. Okay, Origins 2017. What to see, what to do. Well, I have no idea. I've never actually been there myself, but I have spent a little bit of time with the Origins 2017 geek list that is on Board Game Geek right now. There's a link for it in the notes of this, and it lists 163 games, new games, that will be available at the show. And they're broadly either games that you can buy or games that you can't buy but can demo. And so because of that, I'm going to do two lists today. I am going to talk about my top 10 games to demo at the show. If I was going to be there in Columbus, these would be the 10 that I would definitely seek out and try to Sit down and play. And then I will also do the top 15 games to buy. And let's see, what to start with? I'll start with the top 15. Uh, you know, These are games that will be for sale. Some of them will be, I'm sure, available in mass quantities. Some will not. People have been making note of which ones people should seek out because there won't be very many on the Geek List. So go check that out for more. And of course, Obviously, you should check out the Geek List anyway, because I've got very particular taste. I'm ignoring anything that requires more than, or three or more players. I'm ignoring a lot of stuff because it's too aggressive. Also on this list, I'm ignoring any games that I have already run through. What is that? There's like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. 14 games on that list, roughly, that uh, you can actually go on my YouTube channel and see. I mean, so while I could have worked those in, uh, you know, to say how much I value those particular games relative to everything else, you can watch the run through. You can decide for yourself if Train Heist or This War of Mine or Glass Road or Tiny Epic Galaxies Beyond the Black or, or Haunt You or whatever. Um, you know, there's a bunch of games I've already run through. These are ones I haven't run through that I haven't actually played. And I'm just saying this is what I would seek out. Starting with number 15, a game called The Fox in the Forest. And there's going to be a lot of games here I don't really know much of anything about. In fact, this countdown, I think, if anything else, is probably reflective of the stuff at the top of the list. I'm really just kind of going on a hunch and a feeling. All, all the way down to number one, which is be 
you know, get out of my way. I'm going to get that game. Nothing's going to stop me. So starting the list, The Fox in the Forest, it's from Foxtrot Games. And the reason I'm interested in it is because it promises to be a two-player only trick-taking game. And that's a fascinating idea. I love the idea of trick-taking, and I've tried several interesting trick-taking games over the years, but they almost always, without exception, are subpar when played with only one other player. In fact, I can only think of one that I've actually enjoyed as a two-player game. Half-Pint Heroes worked really well. But now, here's a game that has the audacity to say, forget three or four or five players. This is for two players only, baby. And that's all I know. Although I can also say the art for it looks lovely. It looks absolutely delightful. So those two things put the fox in the forest at number 15. Then on to number 14, Attack on Titan Last Stand. And now I've actually done a run-through for another Attack on Titan game from publisher Cryptozoic, which was Attack on Titan Titan the Deck Builder. And that was a really, really good game. Jen and I very much enjoyed it, although we don't really know that much about the franchise. I have actually, since I've, I've watched some of the episodes, and I've got the rest, I'll probably end up finishing the first season. So no spoilers, anybody. But um, anyway, Cryptozoic is now bringing out their second Attack on Titan game, The Last Stand. And this one's really interesting. I have to admit, I'm kind of on the fence about it. Because the notion of this is one player is the Titan, which are these big, towering, humanoid monsters trying to wipe out humanity, and all the other players are on a team trying to take the Titan down. So as a two-player game, of course, I'd be the Titan, Jen would be the uh, Titan killers, I guess. So it's a it's a face off. It's a you know it's a mano a mano. Lots of punching and attacking each other. So I'm not interested in that. But what is interesting is the Titan Hunter players. The uh, you know the ones who are taking out the Titan, they their turn is rolling a bunch of action dice with different uh, effects on them to move or attack or you know use their their uh, their jump gear and all that stuff, and they can roll and re-roll Yahtzee style, trying to get the dice that they want. But the danger is every one of the action dice they're rolling has a Titan face on it, and if they roll the Titan face. They've got to give it to the Titan player. And that's how the Titan player gets to do stuff. So you've got all these heroes kind of zipping around like they do in the uh, anime and the manga. And um, you know, every once in a while, the Titan will get to attack. But then they do these big epic things. I think that's really, really awesome. I love the tension. Um, you know, because you see that in you know, a lot of kind of push-your-luck Yahtzee things. Of, yeah, the more I roll, the more the dice are going to get locked down. And usually it's that means the simulation will do something. But in this game, that gives your enemy something to do. That's really, really cool. Plus, every round, the Titan player plays two cards from their hand. One face up and one face down. So everybody knows half of what the Titan player has in mind, but not everything. So are they bluffing? What are they going to do? It sounds really cool. And then on top of it all off... It's a 3D board because the Titan himself is gigantic. I mean, it looks from the pictures like it must be a foot and a half or probably a foot tall. And it's got all these little um, platforms on it that the players climb their way up when they're fighting him. It looks really, really cool. And while Jen and I tend to avoid things where we fight each other, that take, that, that notion of rolling dice and pushing your luck and feeding the Titan actions, that sounds really cool. So... It makes the list at number 14 from Cryptozoic, Attack on Titan, Last Stand. 
Then, number 13, Railways of Nippon, which is a new expansion, which I don't, I don't think anybody particularly expected a, a new expansion coming out for Railways of the World. And actually, I've talked about this in a previous podcast. It's from Hiyashi Hisashi, or his Hisashi Hiyashi, a really well-respected Japanese designer who did a bunch of games, Trains, Yokohama, um, oh, I, I, a few other ones. I've, I've run through several of his games. They're really, really good. And Jen and I love Railways of the World. So this is kind of a no-brainer. What is he going to bring? You know, by doing a map of, of Japan instead of maps of Europe or America or England or all the other ones, a map of Japan um, you know, during its, its industrial age, what will that do? What new gameplay? I don't know. But I'm excited. I am interested to see a new designer's take. Put some, you know, inject some new blood into um, you know, wor- Railways of the World. That's very, very cool. Number 13, Railways of Nippon from uh, Eagle Griffin Games. Then we go on to, this was a big surprise to me, number 12, Samara. And actually, I do own Samara. I got it when it was on Kickstarter, and I haven't actually played it yet. It's so sad because I'm always having to play games that my voters choose, and you know the ones that the publishers send me for review. So it's very rare that I actually get to play games that I actually buy for myself. So I've had it on the shelf for like six months, and I'm really intrigued by it. It's this very, very cool worker placement game that um, brings time into the mix, not time travel, but rather that when you put your worker to work, you can kind of like oh, what was it? Zolk in the Mayan calendar, you can define how long they're going to work on that job before you pull them back off the board with this very cool sliding board mechanism that I really like the look of. Anyway, I guess I'm not alone because Tasty Minstrel Games must have liked the look of it. They have decided to um, do a reprint of it, putting it in a smaller box. I don't know what other changes have been made to the base, um, but if I didn't already have it, I mean, Tasty Minstrel Games, I'm just going to say it, they have excellent taste. All the games they have been picking up to you know, bring out to a wider audience have been excellent. And so, and I already thought Samara was going to be excellent when I backed it on Kickstarter originally. So, no surprise that it would make my list at number 12, Samara. Then, on to number 11, Baron Park. I imagine in English it's going to be called Bear Park because uh, Baron Park is its original German name and that's what's listed as on Board Game Geek. So I assume if you go over to Mayfair Games, who's, who's rolling it out at Origins, you'd probably want to look for Bear Park. Anyway, I don't know much about it, but it looks like uh, players are trying to make their best. Bear Park. They look like zoos devoted to housing and caring for and you know recreating the habitats of all different kinds of bears. And while also making sure you have plenty of restrooms and restaurants and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's one of those kind of zoo tycoon type games. And a big focus of the game is all the Tetris style pieces that you're trying to puzzle out how to make them fit on your board. You know, this is something we've seen not too long ago in Cottage Garden and Patchwork before that. And so we're getting another take on it, um, you know, uh, from Lookout Games, Mayfair game. It looks great. The early reports are it's a really fun, solid game, and that's why it's on the list for me at number eleven, Baron Park or Bear Park or Park of Bears. I don't know what's going to be called in English. Then on to number ten. Man, I really like the sound of Pinball Showdown, which is a little uh, independently developed game from publisher. Shoot Again Games. 
And it's actually designed by, was it Diane Sawyer, a, a lady designer. Everybody, more women designing board games. Awesome. But put all that aside, who cares? What I'm really intrigued by is the theme. In this game, each player is a pinball inside a pinball machine, bouncing around like crazy, trying to rack up the most points. Like a pinball machine. It's a card game, and all the cards you've got in your hand represent you know, the different bumpers and ramps and flippers and all the kinds of stuff. And it's, you know, you're, you're playing cards to rack up points. I don't know anything more about it. That, though, is such a cool idea. And Bauer's Game Quarter did a video of this a while ago, and, and Bauer really liked it. And you know, Bauer doesn't mince words. If he doesn't like a game, he comes right out and says it. So, um, you know, or actually, it's not Bauer, it's Forrest. Uh, but, you know, Forrest of Bauer's Game Corner. And so he really liked it. And uh, I, I love the idea. This is definitely something I would want to check out at number 11, or no, I'm sorry, number 10, Pinball Showdown. Then on to number nine, The Lost Expedition, which just kind of came out of nowhere. I'd hardly heard about this at all. I guess uh, Z Garcia of the Dice Tower did a run-through of it about a month ago. He must have gotten an early copy of it from publisher Osprey Games. And, man, I wish I'd gotten an early copy of it because watching Z's video, it looks like a blast. It looks like a lot of fun. I guess it's predominantly designed as a solo game, although you can play cooperatively, which is, of course, how I'd want to play it. Kind of reminds me, not in terms of theme, it, it, looks, like, it looks kind of like a very grounded, thematic Oniverse game. Because it, it has kind of the same sort of gameplay vibe as an Onirim. But not set in some weird nightmare uh, dreamscape. It's actually a jungle adventure where players are trying to get this group of explorers from one end of the jungle to the other by playing cards in every round. The cards have to be played in a certain order. And the order you play them in ultimately determines how all the cards will be resolved. So it seems like it's actually a potentially very clever puzzle that evolves because some of the cards will say, okay, if this card is placed here... Two cards to the right of it will get ignored. Some cards are good, some cards are bad. And so some cards get played randomly, and you have a little bit of lack of control, but then you've got a list of cards in your hand that you're trying, trying, you're playing, trying to ensure you skip the bad stuff and activate the good stuff. You have limited resources, uh, you have multiple explorers, not all of them will make it through alive, and you, you try to help them survive as long as you can. According to Z, it's also a very challenging game, which makes it very enticing to me. I love a really hard co-op or solo game. And uh, yeah, and it looks nice too. It has really great looking art. So that's why it makes my list at um, number nine, The Lost Expedition from Osprey Games. Then number eight, this one is going to be a very popular game. Um, and uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know it's, it's been the hotness for quite a while from Plan B Games, Century Spice Road. And the interesting thing about this is, well, there's a few interesting things. One, it's apparently the first game in what is going to be a series of century games um, where I, I guess it's the same basic type of gameplay, but it moves forward or backwards and takes place in different centuries. Uh, so this one is set on you know, the Spice Road, but another one will be set, I don't know, in the American West um, or you know, in the far-flung future or in ancient Athens. I don't really know, but that's the intent. It's a series of games that are, I guess, kind of expand each other, but also work as standalone games in different eras. But So that's cool. The other thing is, a lot of people are saying this is a splendor killer. That it's a really simple, 
fast, fun, gateway, light game with amazingly stellar components that pulls you in. The gameplay itself is kind of abstract, but really, really rock solid. So that's enticing. I have to admit, Jen and I, we tried Splendor. We did not... It didn't click with us. We thought it was too simple and too abstract. So I worry that we might run into the same problem with Century Spice Road. But man, I mean, there have been so many people raving about this already because it's been in the wild. I guess this is, um, I guess it's actually getting released in Europe this week at, you know, literally today, right now. Because as I'm recording this, it's, um, the, it's Friday the 2nd of June. And so the UK Gaming Expo is going, and I believe it's for sale there. Man, I, Plan B Games, why haven't you sent me a review copy? Well, I guess you haven't needed to because um, there's a huge amount of hotness around this game. Which is why it makes another reason. It makes my list at number 8, Century Spice Road. Then let's move on to number 7. Road Pit Crew, which I've been pretty stoked about this for quite a while. It's um, from the Engelsteins, who have you know this family of designers who have put out some really excellent games. I've really loved the idea behind um, you know all of Jeff Engelstein's games, and you know he co-designs with his family members. Um, You know uh, the Space Cadets series, and oh, I forget the name of it, but before he did that, he did this kind of game that replicated StarCraft, but in, in board game form. And um, a fog of war. So he keeps making these games that I love the idea of. I read about the mechanisms, and they sound so amazing, so clever to me. But they are always games that seem to be focused predominantly on working well with higher player counts, or they're games that have a lot of player versus player. So I keep not getting to play his games, as disappointed as I am. I'm hoping Pit Crew is going to break that streak. I love the theme of it. It's, um, you know, it's, it, I guess it's around NASCAR racing, stock car racing, Formula One racing. I'm not quite sure what, but automobile, modern automobile racing. But it's not a race game because we don't play the driver in the car. We play the Pit Crew, who are frantically trying to get the tires changed, the engine tuned up. I'm not quite sure what all a Pit Crew does, in all honesty. You know, I've seen them in Days of Thunder and stuff like that, but I, I really don't have a firm idea of what their responsibilities are, but I'll know after playing this game because it is a real-time team-based game where players are trying to run the fastest pit crew possible. And the main thing is that communication is absolutely key. So I do worry, though, that this is going to be another game where it's really going to be at its best when you're playing with a bunch of people. And if it's just my pit controlled entirely by me versus Jen's pit controlled entirely by her, maybe it won't be as compelling as with higher player counts. I don't know. But I want to believe. Jeff, give me a great two-player game. I, I love all your ideas. I just don't get to play them. So fingers crossed for my number seven, Road Pit Crew from Stronghold Games. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's not Road Pit Crew. It's just Pit Crew. Where did I get that road from? Pit Crew from Stronghold Games. Then we move on to number six which is an expansion for a game I have done a run-through for. I was almost going to leave expansions off of this list and only talk about new games, but in the end, I figured, what the heck, because I didn't want to take this one off the list. It's Haspel Connect Ruhr Valley. And I've, like I said, I've done a run-through for Haspel Connect, and that turned out to be a delightful game. A very, very cool, fresh what would you call it? Not worker placement. Um, it's it, 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 it's a it's a game about coal mining in pre-industrial Germany, 
And I, it's so smart. The base game had this action selection mechanism that's unlike anything else on the market. That was really cool. The the raw tactile nature of how you actually mine the uh, you know the, the coal mine that's that your own little board was really compelling. But it also had a very very compelling amount of replay value because of all the different upgrades you could make for your operation and the way that you know you could focus on working the the the. The mine while your opponent works on the upgrades, but you could then piggyback off the upgrades they do. There's, um, you know, uh, leveling up your workers. There's just so much stuff. So the core game was already phenomenal. And I, th- I have heard some people complain that, well, yeah, we can understand how it has a lot of replay value at two, uh, because you don't see all the upgrade tiles every turn, but at higher player counts, it maybe gets a little samey because you always see the same tiles. So, Color me excited that a whole bunch of new tiles are getting added. But not just new tiles. New fundamental gameplay elements are getting worked into the core formula as well. So you can go find out why I was so excited about this by watching the original run-through for Haskell Connect. So I'm stoked for Haskell Connect Ruhr Valley. Definitely. Uh, and then moving on. Oh, oh, and I should say it is coming from publisher Capstone Games. Right. Then, moving on to number five, Okie Dokie. Once again, I have to go back to Tasty Minstrel Games, who seem to have very, very good taste. I mean, they, they produce really wonderful game designs of their own, but over the last year or two, they've really been focusing on finding really awesome little games that were published in other markets and bringing them into the wider market. I already, earlier in this thing, ran, mentioned Samsara. Uh, Samara. Now I'm mentioning Okie Dokie, which is a little, a cute little. It, it, it's kind of similar to uh, a Hanabi sort of thing, or not really Hanabi. Um, but anyway, it's it's a very very light card game where everybody plays cards, uh, trying to contribute to this overall orchestra. And the tricky thing is. Oh, oh! you know what it's like? It's like The Game, uh, a, a completely abstract game that came out a few years ago. I think it was a, a Spiel des Jahres nominee, uh, where you couldn't tell anybody what's in your hand, and we're all playing cards to like a, a, a common tableau, and I'm hoping you will play the cards that you know set me up for what I need to do, and I'm hoping I don't play cards that totally mess you up. It's one of those types of games. Uh, it's got really cute, adorable art. It's a whole bunch of anthropomorphized animal uh, members of an orchestra trying to you know play. And uh, there, you know, there's a few interesting restrictions. One is you're not completely cut off from communicating. You can't communicate what's exactly in your hand, but you can talk about what suits are in your hand. So there is some collusion between players, unlike um, you know say. Hanabi or, or other ones where you're really, really restricted. Here, you can strategize some, but you, can be, you can't give perfect information. And here's, I'm, I'm very confident about this because Tasty Minstrel Games actually sent me a copy of it. It just showed up the other day, and so far I have played a four-player game of it, and we thought it was delightful. And um, I haven't played it solo, but um, our guests... While we were playing another game, she actually played as a solo game, and she said, wow, this is really great. I'm going to play this two or three times while you're playing your other game. And um, I haven't actually sat down and played it with Jen yet as a two-player game, but I, I believe it's going to work really, really well. I've been very impressed by my limited exposure so far to Okie Dokie from Tasty Minstrel Games, which is number five. Now, on to number four, we've got Sword and Sword. Oh, shoot! Shoot, shoot, shoot! All right. Oh, I'm cheating. All right, I was going to say sword and sorcery. 
Because originally I did make this list including all the stuff I have done run-throughs of, and then I took all those titles out, and I didn't take out Sword and Sorcery. No! Oh dear. All right. Now, I'll tell you what, forget about it. Forget about Sword and Sorcery. Although, um, it's it's an excellent, excellent cooperative uh, fantasy dungeon crawl adventure. Again, you can see my run-through about it. Oh dear. But that messes everything up. You know what? Oh, then, okay, renumber everything in your head. <laughs> Um, number 15 was actually number 14, you know, Fox in the Forest, because my new number 15, which had just missed my list originally, because I, I liked having the nice 15 cutoff, so I've got a new number 15 from Bezier Games' New York Slice. I'd definitely be interested in checking that out. It's an I-split-you-choose um, re-implementation of a very well-loved game that can work well with parties, but apparently is strategic enough to work well, with, maybe even with two players. I've, I've been told it works well with two. And and so I'm really curious to try out New York Slice from Bezier Games. That's number 15. Then number 14 is Fox in the Forest. 13 is Attack on Titan. 12 is Railways of Nippon. 11 is Samsara. 10 is Baron Park. 9 is... Um, well, you get the idea. Uh, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4. Um, let's talk about now number number 3. Number yeah, so Okidoku is number four. Number three is a very cool-looking cooperative film noir. Um, you know, like a Sam Spade, Maltese Falcon. You know, grizzled detective game called Deadline. I see, and who is it from? Deadline is from publisher WizKids. WizKids is publishing. Oh, I didn't realize that. Um, I heard about it last year. And I saw a video they did of, a, of, of the demo copy they had at Essen. And at the time, I was really interested. It is basically, it's a cooperative game. The game comes with, I don't know how many missions, 10, 15 mysteries that have to be solved. It's very much like, oh, what's it called? The game um, Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, which you can go watch the run-through I did of that. Spoiler-free run-through, amazingly. Um, and it's this notion that... You, you get the game. There is a mystery to solve. In, in, you know, in, in this case, you know, uh, a hard grizzled detective film noir mystery, and everybody's working together. And once you've solved it, well, hey, you've still got whatever twelve more missions to go before you've kind of finished the game and solved all these things. And um, what's interesting is there are well, most of these just are you know because there's there's the Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective line, but there was another game that I did a run through for last year called Watson and Holmes that took that same idea. Uh, but made it much lighter and faster. And, um, you know, in Jen, I really enjoyed it, except for the fact that it was a competitive game and it wasn't very good with two. So that was, on the whole, kind of a mixed bag. Deadline looks like it'll be a phenomenal cooperative game that'll work well at a number of player counts, including two, because while everybody's trying to figure out the, the murder mystery, we're also playing this little puzzle game where we have cards in our hand that um, means we have to match symbols together. And again, well, like what was I talking about just a minute ago? Okie doke. Yeah, these interesting. These two are right next to each other. I can't tell you exactly what cards I've got, and I've got to play them hoping that you will understand what it is I need to do and not mess me up and set me up so that we can achieve certain goals together. This is something, you know, games where you have limited communication and you really have to pay attention to what your partner needs. This is something Jen and I have found we really enjoy. I mean, we really enjoyed it in And Then We Held Hands. So anytime that kind of thing where 
which is good for us because generally when we play cooperative games, we tend to overanalyze everything and can really drag things down. So being put in a situation where we can't communicate everything perfectly really kind of helps keep the game going for us. That's There's a lot of reasons I'm really, really interested in checking out Deadline. And I guess that makes sense seeing as how it was my number three, um, where, you know, which is saying something. But number two, what I would seek out even more readily is Caverna Cave versus Cave, which I'm thinking is going to be from Mayfair, right? Let's take a look at that. It must be. Yeah, okay, yeah, from Mayfair Games. Second thing I mentioned from them. And, you know, and they've got, I mean, there's, there's so many games. Again, go check out the Geek List. Eric Martin, um, you know, the, the, the head news honcho of Board Game Geek, does an amazing job of collating all this information. And bear in mind, this is a living document. I'm just looking at it on Friday, June 2nd. There's still a couple weeks until the show. More stuff is going to be added. Pretty soon this list is going to be out of date. So check it out. Subscribe to the Geek List so you can get more information. But anyway, sorry, that's totally as an aside. So my number two is Caverna Cave versus Cave, which is a two-player only kind of distillation of the theme of Caverna, but giving it new and different gameplay. This is, the, I believe, the third time the designer Uwe Rosenberg has done this. He made Agricola All Creatures Big and Small, which was like a, a simplified streamlined version of Agricola. And then he made Inland, uh, Lahav Inland Port, which is a simplified version of Lahav. Those were both Excellent titles, really good stuff. He did it kind of in reverse order when he did Patchwork, which was kind of a streamlined version of um, of uh, uh, Feast for Odin. But anyway, he's doing it again. He's streamlining and simplifying and creating a two-player-only version of Caverna called Cave versus Cave, and that's good enough for me. I want to have it. Now, my understanding is this is one of those games that will be there in very limited quantities. So if you want it too. Beat feet to get it. Although, bear in mind, if you don't get it, don't worry. It's going to go into wider distribution within a month anyway. Um, but I mean, you know, it's, I, I'm just rating it this high because I want it, precious. I must have it. But not as much as number one. The number one game I am super-duper stoked for is from Renegade Game, and it is called Flatline a fuse aftershock game, but I will from now on refer to it as just flatline, because uh, that's a that's a bit of a mouthful. Flatline, a fuse aftershock game. It's basically a spiritual successor, a spiritual sequel to Fuse, which I have done a run through for, and that is an awesome real time cooperative dice drafting game that is absolutely amazing. Fuse is a very simple little. 10-minute bundle of terror and pressure and tension and excitement, and we absolutely adore it. Flatline is taking the base gameplay of Fuse, but expanding it. Make it instead of a session being just one 10-minute game, my understanding is with Flatline, you actually play several shorter instance. I don't know if they're one minute long or three minutes long, but then so you have like these high impact, you know, dice drafting and dice placement real-time sequences, but then everything slows down and goes to a, um, a slow version where you can catch your breath before you go to the next real-time thing. This is something that I have found works so phenomenally well, so amazingly well in Project Elite and more recently in Kitchen Rush. I absolutely love this mix of fast-time and slow-time cooperative gaming. And Jen, I loved Fuse. So it's no wonder... Uh, that Flatline makes my number one must-buy game at Origins 2017. Phew! Okay, so that was 15 games to think about. 
kind of 16 because I cheated a little bit and I messed up my list. And now, if you hold on a second, I'll be back in just a minute with 10 more games that you can't buy. But if I were you and you are there, I would strongly recommend you try playing. So hold on. We'll be right back. Okie doke, folks. Let's continue now talking about the top 10 games to demo of Origins 2017, beginning with number 10 from Bezier Games, Whistle Stop. And I, I haven't really looked at this too terribly much. I have to admit, I'm, again, I'm kind of on the fence about this a little bit. Uh, it's on my list because, as far as I'm concerned, Bezier Games, like Tasty Minstrel Games, has a pretty flawless record. They're getting to the point where I am not worried. If they have decided to put their name, their label, on a game, I can have a high level of confidence it's going to be a solid game. But, on the other hand, I'm a little bit nervous about this because it's a pick-up-and-deliver game. And uh, pick-up-and-deliver is definitely not a a uh, gameplay mechanism that Jen and I find ourselves enjoying very much at all. But on the other hand, it's a Bezier game game. Um, you know, a big box Bezier game. So I definitely want to try it. The designer of it uh, put out another game a while ago called uh, Veluspa, which I have done a run-through for. And Jen and I thought that was a really brilliant puzzle of a game. We liked it quite a bit. So, you know, based on the designer pedigree... And the publisher pedigree, I'm willing to overlook my concern about the, uh, again, the, the, the gameplay mechanism. And I would definitely want to ch- uh, sit down and play a demo game of Whistle Stop. That's my number 10. But let's move on to number 9. I even more would like to try out a game I had never heard of before today. In fact, um, I only just this only went on the geek list about two hours ago. I only saw it because I happened to refresh. So unfortunately, sorry... Oh, what was it? Um, a Gardens of Mars, which was my number 10 originally. You got pushed into the number 11 spot by Unearth, which, like I said, I just heard about today. Because like I said, this geek list is getting updated all the time. Definitely subscribe to it, folks. It's, it's, a, it's a godsend. But anyway, Brotherwise Game is going to be uh, making available for demo Unearth. I don't know much about it other than it looks really pretty. It has really nice looking art. And it's a dice worker placement game, which we, Jen and I, we played several dice worker placement games. It's something we really enjoy quite a bit. But what's interesting about this one is it's not all D6s. Every dice worker placement game out there, it's just all D6s, whether it's Kingsburg or Alien Frontiers or um, um, a Dark Horse or Voyages of Marco Polo, or you know, there's so many of them these days. It's a really, really common thing, but it's always D6s. Unearth uses a bunch of different D8s, D10s, D12s, D4s, all in worker placement. What does that mean? I don't know. I can only assume it means different workers. Obviously, well, they have different probabilities of what you're going to roll when you roll them. I'm intrigued by that idea. It seems like such a simple little thing, but it could be a real game changer for the burgeoning um, dice worker placement genre. So I'm definitely interested in number nine, Unearth. Then we go on to number eight, Hot Shots, which is a cooperative firefighting game from Fireside Games. And it seems like it's a very, very cool uh, you know, cooperative game that has a healthy dollop of push your luck. 
And uh, from what I've seen, I've seen some videos of gameplay. It seems like it'd be pretty solid. Uh, it seems like it would work well with two. I would like the theme. I like the presentation. I like cooperative stuff. I like fighting fires. So Hot Shot seems like it could be a really good hit for me and Jen. But then we move on to number seven, Witches of the Revolution. Which, I mean, this thing has such a funny theme because it asks the question, what would have been like if witches, real, you know, um, bubble bubble, toil and trouble, riding around on broomsticks, witches were single-handedly responsible for um, you know the colonists winning the American Revolution. That witches came in and saved the day. Behind the scenes, this is hidden history. Nobody ever knew that um, George Washington and crew, they would have been toast if the witches hadn't stepped up. That's a very, very cool theme from publisher Atlas Games. I'm immediately intrigued by you know this alternative you know kind of fantasy history view of Amer- of you know of, of something I had to study quite a bit growing up um, in American grade school. But on top of that, it looks like it's a really solid cooperative deck builder with some very, very interesting tweaks to deck builder, you know, standards with, uh, you know, the, 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 the way the deck can get filled up with bad stuff and, um, you know, or it can kind of get whittled down over time and, you know, the pressure you're under. It, it seems like it has some very, very solid gameplay. It has a really, really cool theme. So I have to admit, I'm more than a little curious about number seven. Witches of the Revolution. Then we move on to number six, the Palace of Mad King Ludwig. Once again, Bezier Games makes a list. Now, this is a sequel to designer Ted Allspock's, what was it, um, you know, Suburbia, and then the Castles of Mad King Ludwig, and then there was Subdivision, and now the Palace of Mad King Ludwig. Mad King Ludwig was an excellent game, really well loved. Jen loves it too. Here's what Palace does. It's the same basic type of, you know, trying to cobble together this really crazy collection of rooms uh, for the Mad King, but now all the players are working on the same castle instead of working their own little private one. That is very cool. That is something that none of these Bezier city building games have done. It's always been you working on your own little thing. There's been interesting interlap and, you know, uh, interplay in all of them, but now players are working in the same space. That could be awesome. I absolutely love the idea. I've loved everything that's come before. So that's why it's at number six from Bezier Games, The Palace of Mad King Ludwig. Then on to number five, an expansion for a game I did a run-through for last year called The Networks, and it is Networks Executives. It adds more, more, more to a game gen I already loved, um, if it was there for sale, it would definitely be on my must-buy list, but it's not. So it's on my must-demo list because I would want to sit down and play it. Although um, the uh, designer, Gil Hova, he mentions on the Geek List, he's posted that it might be hard to actually, because he doesn't have a stand. Um, basically, I, I don't know if maybe you have to contact him directly and arrange a time to sit down and play a demo. Um, I know I would if I were there because we love the networks and I want, and I can't wait to see what will be new in this expansion. But now let's move on to number four, another expansion. This is Hero Realms Ruin of Thandar. And now Hero Realms is interesting. It's from the publisher of White Wizard Games. It's actually a fantasy reimagining of the monster hit deck builder Star Realms. I've never played, I've played Star Realms on 
on my phone. There's a really good digital implementation. So if you ever want to play Star Realms, you're curious about it, download it. It doesn't cost hardly anything on your smartphone. You can give it a try. I played Star Realms. I thought it was okay, but it played a little bit too on Rails. It was a little bit too streamlined and straightforward to gents in my taste. But when Tasty Minstrel did an, an alternate take of it called Cthulhu Realms, then it really opened up, and Jen and I enjoyed it a lot more. So now, White Wizard Games and the original designers have gone back, and they've taken some of the ideas that was in Cthulhu Wars and re-implemented into the Realms formula, but, in, um, but it's not set in a so- far-out science fiction space galactic battle now it's high fantasy hero dungeon crawling stuff, which Jen and I absolutely love. The same core mechanisms with some of the improvements from Cthulhu Realms. Um, you know, and it's interesting. I have a copy of Hero Realms, but I haven't even opened the box yet. Because what I'm really interested in, the reason I picked it up is because I was so excited about this expansion. Because it brings cooperative campaign play, which I... I absolutely adore. I, um, you know, uh, games where the, you know, the adventure doesn't stop at the end of your session and you reset everything back up and start all over again from scratch. This is a game where there will be an epic story played over multiple sessions as your character, your deck levels up. You don't keep resetting your deck after you're done. You keep building it and building it. I mean, we've seen this in games like Pathfinder Adventure Card Game and Shadowrun Crossfire, and every time it happens, I love it. So, Adding that to the realm system in Hero Realms makes this a must-have. And I actually talked to um, the publisher about this last year at Essen, and he told me some of the plans they have were so crazy. And I couldn't talk about it at the time because they hadn't really been announced. Hopefully they'll be announced if they haven't already yet, and people can start seeing. They have some amazingly ambitious ideas and plans for how the Hero Realms, Ruin of Thandar, epic campaign is going to work. And um, if you're at all interested in Star Realms or Cthulhu Realms or Hero Realms, you have to go and talk to them just to get as excited about the potential of this as I am having heard it. So anyway, that was number four, Hero Realms, Ruin of Thandar. Then, number three, Codenames Duet. You know, I almost didn't put this on the list because, come on, Everybody knows how awesome Codenames is. I don't know. If you don't, well, then don't give it the time of day. But Jen and I, I mean, Codenames was an amazing party game. It's even more amazing because it works well as a two-player game. Jen and I very much enjoyed it with its little cooperative two-player variant. Now, Codenames Duet comes out, which is a team cooperative game. One team versus another. Or no, I'm sorry. No, that's not right. That's not how it works. It, it's, it's a cooperative game where there are two teams, but the teams are working together. Which is a, the fundamental shift uh, out of Codenames, which was a you know a competitive game where the teams are competing to be the first to you know crack the code of the other player's secret team of spies. Now we are trying to communicate and give clues to each other um, while receiving clues from each other. It sounds phenomenal. It sounds like a it sounds like a Codenames killer, and that's saying something because Codenames itself is absolutely amazing. I must have it. If I can't have it, I must play it. That's why I would want to give it a try. And then I would beg and plead to let me take home this prototype you're playing on. But anyway, uh, number three. I, 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 this is a level of enthusiasm excitement I have, and I'm super excited about Codenames Duet from CGE uh, Check Games Edition. Then, my number two, also from CGE Check Games Edition. It's called That's a Question. And this one's cheating. This is the 
I don't know if this will work with two players. It hasn't been announced yet. It's a party game from designer Vladishevatl, who is one of my favorite designers of all time. Everything the man touches turns to gold. He's he is um he is a he is a genius. Uh, um, you know, and I don't say that lightly. That's a word a lot of people use, but he is a board game design genius. So eclectic, so many things he does, and every time he makes a new design, it's absolutely phenomenal. Code names, I. I'm interested in. I don't know anything about uh, this game, um, you know, which again is called. That's a question. It's a party game. It's a question about. Uh, it's a game about players asking each other questions, and somehow that's been gamified. I would be surprised if it works well with two or even supports two. I hope it does. I can't imagine it does because just two players asking questions of each other. You need to have a group of players. I don't care though. I want to experience it. I want to experience every game Vladishvatl has ever done, and I have. Nothing. I have 100% confidence that um, this is just going to blow the roof off. It's just going to be an amazing experience that just reinvents the party game experience. And people are like, oh my god, why hasn't this existed before? It's so amazing. That's why it's my number two. Because of the man himself, Vlada Shavadl, uh, who is bringing us That's a Question. And then my number one, back to games that I would want to play with Jen. This one, man, I, I cannot stress enough how incredibly excited I am for Ares Games, or from publisher Ares Games, The Hunt for the Ring. Here's the deal. This is, uh, you know, set in, it, it, we're talking about the One Ring. We're talking about uh, Tolkien, Middle-Earth, Bilbo, um, you know, the, the Fellowship trying to destroy the Ring, the Nazgul trying to stop them, and this is a hidden movement game where the player control in Bilbo is moving around in secret on the board, trying to avoid all the Nazgul um, you know, so he can make it out alive. And the interesting thing is, there's two big interesting things about this game. One is they um, decided, uh, you know, it, it, there's several designers working on this, but one of the core design, the principal designers on this game is the guy responsible for Ledgers from Whitechapel, which is one of the most popular hidden movement games to date. I mean, everybody raves about how absolutely amazing this game is. And I've never gotten a chance to play it because Letters from Whitechapel is all about hunting Jack the Ripper. And here's the thing. Jen and I are so desperate to have a really great hidden movement game that we love because Jen loves being the person doing the hidden movement and being hunted by me and I don't mind doing the hunting but every one of these games we've tried they've just not worked for us for various reasons Letter from White Trapple we've never tried because Jen refuses to play as Jack the Ripper so it's unthinkable to her but I guarantee you she'd love to play as Frodo sneaking around trying to get away from the Nazgul and I don't mind being the Nazgul chasing that little hobbit um so that's cool that, you know, talk about designer pedigree. Uh, the guy who is behind arguably the best hidden movement game in the industry is now bringing his talent to bear for this new game with Jen's, maybe Jen's absolute favorite franchise. I don't know, maybe she likes Harry Potter more than Lord of the Rings. I'm not quite sure. But that right there makes it a must-have. But I'm not done yet. Because here's the other thing. The game apparently comes in two halves. You can, I guess there are two modes, although you can consider it playing the first and second half of a session. You could play um, the first half, and that would be an hour, and then you could stop. Or you could then play the second half, because uh, it continues um, you know, Frodo's adventure after he makes it to the Prancing Pony, and he has to continue trying to escape. You could play it as like one long epic session or two shorter sessions, however you want to play. But here's the thing. 
the two game modes are radically different. Everything I've just described about Frodo sneaking around, trying to avoid the Nazgul, trying to make it to Bree, I think. It just covers that first part of the story, getting out of Hobbiton and um, you know, getting to the Prancing Pony alive and, and finding uh, Aragorn. That's the first half. The second half, the player who played as Frodo no longer controls Frodo. Frodo. Now they're playing as Gandalf. And uh, you know the other players are still playing as the Nazgul, trying to catch the ring bearer and stop him from his quest. I think maybe he's trying to get to Lorien. I'm not really quite sure uh, the particulars. But anyway, now the hidden player is Gandalf, still moving around the world. I'm not sure if his movement is hidden anymore, if, he, if he's publicly known where he is. But the important thing is Frodo is still making the journey. Frodo's location is still secret. Um, and now... Frodo moves on his own. The game comes with an AI system that allows Frodo to move through the world secretly. The Nazgul players, or player, if you're only playing a two-player game, has no idea where Frodo is, is still bent, still intent on trying to catch him and stop him. But now, the Gandalf player doesn't have direct control of Frodo, knows what Frodo is trying to do, and now Gandalf is playing a game of defense, trying to keep the Nazgul away, distracting them, bluffing them, stopping them, fighting them, all kinds of stuff. Um, and I mean, But the, even the Gandalf player, I think, doesn't have perfect knowledge of exactly what Frodo is going to do because he is run by a game-controlled AI system. You know, I just talked about this uh, just the other day when I did my top 10 AI games. If um, I had known about this game, I probably would have wanted to put that top 10 on hold until I played it because Hunt for the Ring might scream to the top. I love this idea of uh, me or Jen having to... You know, our entire game, this entire hidden movement game, revolving around an AI that is making decisions outside of player control. And then the players have very asymmetric roles. One player trying to save Frodo, the other players trying to hunt down Frodo. And who knows what Frodo's going to do? Only the game knows. Oh my god, that is mind-blowing awesomeness! This just came out of nowhere and rocketed into my must-have games of the overall year. And you can play it. I am so jealous of you, whoever is listening to this, who will ever be, whoever will be in Ohio for Origins. I want to play this game so bad. You have no idea. That's why it's my number one from Ares Games, The Hunt for the Ring. If you, whoever you are, if you're at Origins and you do not check this game out, we're going to have to have words. Become, and that's it, folks. So... That was just spending a little bit of time talking about Origins and at the same time talking about some new games I hadn't mentioned before. And uh, now, if you hold on, I'm going to get Jen mic'd up so we can get to the questions and answers. Okie doke. Okie dokie, everybody. And as always, it is now time for some questions and answers. Hi, honey pie. Hello, my love. Hello. Jen is in the process of painting her toenails. It <laughs> smells horrible. <laughs> it does smell pretty bad. I might pass out at any second. Hopefully, we'll be able to muscle through. <laughs> and all right, so let's just jump right into it with Andrew asking, what games, because of course, 
First, we'll do the game-related stuff. After all that's over, we will then move on to the personal stuff. For people who don't care about the personal stuff, you'll be able to bow out then. So, with the game Q&A, Andrew wonders, what games did we most recently play that were not Ferrado runs through? That would have to be Gloomhaven. And... Gloomhaven and Gloomhaven. Yeah. Followed by Gloomhaven, Gloomhaven, and Gloomhaven. Yes. How many times did you say we played now? Ooh, at least 20, maybe yeah. maybe 25. Maybe? I would have I would have said somewhere in the mid-20s, yeah. 25. Um, but we also played Roll for the Galaxy. That was really great. That's true. Yeah. That's true. There that was, was no an, reason to play that. There was an, That was unsolicited on my part. I said, honey pie, mm-hmm. let's play some Roll for the Galaxy. And you went, oh? What the? What the? What is that? Yes. That's some ancient game <laughs> from a bygone era? Mm-hmm. That didn't come out in the last two months. Or isn't about to come out? Does it even exist? Yep. So there you go, Andrew. And uh, moving on. Jason says he's watching my top 10 elegant games video and how I'm talking about how heavy the game boxes are to hold up for an extended length of time. <laughs> so why not simply hold up the box lid? Jason, thank you for that suggestion. You were not the only one to make that suggestion, and I have now changed things up, as you will notice in my more recent top ten videos. Oh, I thought I, that was your upper body exercise. Yep, that was all I got, and now it's gone. <laughs> oh, no. Um, yeah. I don't know why that never occurred to me. It was so obvious. Um, anyway, let's see. We have Jan again Jan. asking some more questions. Mm-hmm. I was wondering... If we've already considered opening uh, run-throughs to subtitles in other languages, uh, I mean, have there been fans that have offered to do so? I am totally open to that. If anybody wants to do that, that's perfectly fine. Uh, Jan, if you would like to do some French ones, by all means. Actually, I think at this point, you don't even have to ask my permission. YouTube allows viewers to just go on ahead and do it, and then they submit it, and then I just have to hit a button saying approved after I confirm you don't put any bad French words in, I suppose, which I don't really have a way of... Um, so you'd have uh, to get in touch with John to do a proofreading. Yeah. And then... Something. But, yeah, I'm totally open for that. There, I do have a... That has happened a few times. I know there were a couple of run-throughs that are in Russian because I think I'd done it, and then the publisher said, boy, we'd really like our audience to be able to see this because it was a Russian publisher. Would you mind? And I said, no, of course. The more subtitles, the better. So, Jan... Uh, it wasn't for Russian railroads, was it? <laughs> no, it was not. Oh, that would have been uh, very appropriate. And yeah, I mean, I think there's some other ones. Uh, yeah, there's been some Korean ones, I think. So yeah, I'd, I'd love every one of my videos to be available in every language of the world. And I am certainly not at all opposed to pushing the button, which is pretty much all I have to do once somebody uploads it. Okie dokie. Then his other question is... I see. Oh, this is actually in response to when I was talking about Desert Island games and how they have to be games we'd play for the rest of our lives. And How on earth can you say you'd play one of those as many times as you can? Isn't it human nature to actually explore a game for some time, have a good time with it, and uh, but then after you've mastered it, want something else? I'm wondering whether your occupation would bias you a bit uh, as you sort of never get stuck with a game or get the option to replay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I couldn't say what the more widely held approach is, whether people prefer to. I know Jen would certainly like to play fewer games more often. 
meaning I would like to revisit more yes. games more often. That's not what I said. Play mm-hmm. fewer games more often instead of playing more games less often. Right, well, that was the intent. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I have no data on this whatsoever. I <laughs> certainly... I'm not really complaining. I do like playing new games all the time. I mean, I, I think that's a lucky happenstance that my job tend towards, I think, what my preference is. Before I was doing Rotto Runs Through, when I was still working full-time, I was just paying thousands of dollars a year to buy tons of games and uh, play them. Although, but to be fair, back then we did play games. I mean, we played the heck out of Agricola back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we played most games. We played a lot of Lancaster. We played a lot of everything before Rotto Runs Through. So I imagine that's when eventually Rotto Runs Through comes to an end. Well, that's what it'll go back to, but who knows when that's going to happen. Let's see, was there anything else? Oh, and he has subscribed to BGG News. Good luck, Jan. Hopefully that gives you what you're looking for. Let's see. Honey, I think they can hear you. Painting my toenails? Yes, uh, because you're leaning over and your mic's getting all wrapped up in your shirt there. So they're getting a lot of staticky static. Oh, sorry, everybody. Oh. My toenails are only half blue now. Yes, and the fumes are rising <laughs> even as we speak. I was trying to do it quickly so that, um, you know, certain people would be able to breathe again. Mm, I'll muddle through somehow. Okay. So Mike says, I recently acc- ran across this at my local Barnes & Noble and noticed dot, dot, dot. And Did he send you a picture? Else. He sent you a picture message. There is an attachment, yes. Okay. Not even looking at his computer. There you I go. figured that out. It is a picture of Fuse. Ah, yes. Um, it's a picture of the board game Fuse, which is the little real-time dice-rolling bomb defusal game. Yeah. Where the publisher, Renegade, has put a sticker on the front saying it made a Rado top t- Rado's top ten for 2015. Oh, well, that's nice. Uh, yeah, I mean... Yeah, uh, I noticed Renegade's done that a few times. They've put quotes from me when in, inside their manuals of games. When they're referencing other games, they put quotes from me and stuff like that. I think it's cool. Uh, I'm pretty sure they asked. Yeah, that's right, because they asked if it would be okay and then asked for like a super high-res copy of the logo so that they could you know, use it. Um, so anyway, <laughs> that's really kind of more of an observation. There's no question mark in the picture. Uh, he just noticed it. Question. I, I, all right. Um, well, yes. I, I, I don't know. I guess I kind of have mixed feelings about it. I'm fine with it. If anybody wants to, I mean, the first one who ever did, I think Richard Breeze asked if he could put a quote from me in an actual ad he was putting in a magazine for, um, for Keyflower, I think. And, yeah, every once in a while it happens. I'm perfectly fine if people want to do that. Uh, I don't ever want to become, I mean, yeah, I don't know. When they start transposing your, uh, not transposing, uh, what is it, transcripting your, your run-throughs as part of their manual. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's nice, it's fine. I, I could take it or leave it, but if they want to do it, that's cool with me. Let's see, Larry, moving on, since Mike didn't actually, he just had an observation. <laughs> Larry has gaming and personal questions. His gaming questions are... Did he break them into two subsets? Yes, he did. Oh, what a people, guy. People tend to do that. That's nice. Are you familiar with Rise of Nobility, which recently funded successfully? I don't recall you ever talking about it. Um, yes, I am aware. 
looks like a neat game. Love the guy's art. Seems like it has some really clever ideas. I just I don't have time to do them all. I just can't cover everything. You cannot do it, Captain. Yeah, there was another game that, came, that was on Kickstarter right around the same time that was like hugely successful as well. And everybody kept asking, hey, are you doing a run-through for it? And I'm like, no, Clans of Caledonia, I think. Uh, those were two games that came out fairly close to each other. And, and I, with the benefit of hindsight, I should have made the time because they both looked really, really cool. But I'm sure I'll catch them when they hit retail. Let's see here. Are you familiar with Too Many Bones? I think you're aware of it. Uh, Chip Theory Games never sent you a copy, and I'm certain it'd be ridiculously expensive. It, I'm sure it would. And actually, Chip Theory Games has offered to send me a review copy of the game. And I'll be honest, I turned them down for pretty much one reason, one reason alone. I do not want another ginormous game box that I don't have room for. Oh, it looks really, really cool. I'm, I'm sure we'd like it. I, I do worry that there's too much roll to resolve. I know there's a lot of really cool dice stuff that happens in that game. There's more to the game than just rolling dice and, and hitting monsters over the head with them. You know, the way you manipulate dice and do your dice tech trees and all that. It looks very, very cool. And a, you know, a really, really awesome insert that they used to store the five billion dice it comes with. But that meant having a ridiculously oversized box. And we've now got Gloomhaven and oh, what are, you know, Pathfinder and Catacombs and Mechs vs. Minions. I just don't have enough to- room. No room for all these crazy oversized boxes. So it was just kind of a, yeah, I kind of took a pass on it. Sorry, I was just looking around at them over there. Uh, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. Uh, it, it looks really cool. And yeah. But that's, I'll be honest, it was a silly reason. But it was a pretty successful game. I don't think he needed my help. I mean, it seems like the game is pretty well received. I mean, I know Scott Alden, Aldi of Board Game, the, the head honcho of Board Game Geek, loves it. He raves about it. Let's see. What are my thoughts about it? Oh, that was the question. Hey, <laughs> I jumped right ahead. Uh, do you think <laughs> it would be a game that we'd be interested in? Yeah. Um, well, no, I've already answered that. Okay. What about Robinsberger's Master Labyrinth? What do you think of it? I do not know what that is. I have not heard of Master Labyrinth. Must be an older game, I guess. That's to the BGG. M-A-S-T-E-R-L-A-B-Y-R. That'll be enough, because I'm typing one-handed. Holding the mic with the other. Oh my gosh, it's from 1991. That's crazy old. Nope, don't know anything about it. Alrighty. What do you think of it? My sense is, it's an oldie but a goodie. Probably a good game to introduce young board gamers. Well, then, if that's the case, no, no, no. I'm probably not too interested in it because we don't have any young board gamers. Okay. We're old board gamers. It's okay. Let's see. Are there specific games you would recommend for children age 3, 4, or 5? Oh, golly. Boy, no. I mean, anything that would work for a 3, 4, or 5-year-old, we would not have touched with the 10-foot pole. We just would never have tried it. <laughs> uh, do you not ever think about this because we do not have children? That, that is correct. I, w- I, I, I couldn't possibly... I don't know anything. I don't, I don't even know what the mental faculties of a three-year-old are. I assume they can talk by then, right? <laughs> yes. Yep. So, yeah, I, I, I have a big fat goose egg of experience in that regard. So I'm sorry I cannot help there, Larry. And we'll be back to your personal questions later. Then Daniel, oh. honey pie. Yes. Oh, Daisy's going crazy. Yeah, there's a truck just pulled up outside. A very dangerous-looking dump truck. It has water oh. that's not fit for consumption. Yep. In it. It's okay, Daisy. Let's see. Would you and Jen play a beat each other over the head game with Donald Trump? 
Can we beat Donald Trump over the head? I imagine that's the joke. Yeah. Uh, if not, are, is there a person you would want to beat over the head in a conflict board game? No, I can't really say. It's. Um, I honestly would not want to play a game with Donald Trump at all. I suppose I would do it solely on the off chance that maybe I could talk some sense into him. <laughs> it wouldn't be about the game at all. But uh, no, it, it, I would not take. I would not derive any pleasure from thumping him soundly in Small World or something like that. Um, I can't speak for Jen though. I don't think I could stand to be in the room with him. Yeah. Have you and Jen unlocked any Gloomhaven characters? If so, are they more powerful than the base characters, or are the same? Uh, I wouldn't. I, yeah, we've locked unlocked two. Yeah, three. but you don't want to say anything, do you? Yeah, of course. Okay. But, I mean, I wouldn't say... No, I mean, they're comparably powerful. I mean, all the classes are balanced so that a level 3 of this class is roughly as powerful as a level 3 of that class or the other class <laughs> because of the auto-scaling, the way the leveling of the game works. So, yeah, we've unlocked a few now. Um, they're very cool. Yeah. But I wouldn't even say they're cool. I mean, even the base 6 starting characters are just amazingly cool. Everybody complains how lousy the Brute is. I actually played a game with the Brute the other day. It's a level 1 Brute. And he was amazing, too. Everything. It's, the game just keeps on giving. I actually retired a character. Yes. After Jen swore. swearing and cursing that I would have to. I actually yep. wanted to. Yeah, she uh, went kicking and screaming into that good night. <laughs> but uh, you know, she wasn't going to because you know, she finally got fiddled the... Uh, Tinkerer to level nine. He's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna be super powerful now. I got my new level nine cards. Let's go. And then as we're setting up the level, and I'm choosing my battle goal, and she said, what about my battle goal? And I'm like, well, you don't have any more checks to unlock, Honey Pie. You don't need a battle goal. Like, oh. Yeah, and furthermore, you don't need any experience. And I guess you can get some loot to buy something <laughs> in town. But you know, what's yep. the point of that? Daisy. All right. Tell you what, folks, we're going to be right back because Daisy is not going to let that truck go. Hold on. Okay, hopefully that was the end of the dump trucks. Daisy (laughs) is now confident that we are safe from any peril and we can continue. (laughs) So let's see, it was Daniel. You're talking about Gloomhaven. Yeah, they're they're, they're all well-designed. They're all... it's, It's... Stunning to me how just much variety there is just in what these characters do. I mean, the game is just incredible. Yep. Let's see here. And if I tell you I had printed out a map and all the stickers for Gloomhaven so as not to use the ones that come in the box, would you cringe? (laughs) Maybe inwardly a little bit. I'd feel kind of bad for you. Um, I'm, you, you know what's best for you. You do you, Daniel. But I think you're missing out. I think the game is so much more satisfying when the changes we make are real and permanent and they cannot be undone. Um, you know, and as the world unfolds before us, knowing that it's all ephemeral and temporary and nothing means anything because you, you can all just hit the undo button anytime you want, I think that definitely would make it a poorer experience. And I believe if that's what you're going to do, I'm serious, you are not going to have as much fun as you might have otherwise because the, the stakes won't be real. It, it won't have that gravitas. But like I said, you be you, baby. Is he doing it so that the game has better resale value uh, in case he doesn't enjoy it? I guess... I can I I can understand that argument, but you know what? You'll know whether you enjoy it after the first game. You don't have to put stickers on right away. You can play. I mean, you know, we made that choice because you hadn't played it. 
I'd only played it. I knew I was going to love it. We weren't sure about you. No, but we did play the first round without making any Exactly, that's what stuff. I was saying. And you knew at the, uh, even before we'd finished the first dungeon yeah. that you loved it as much as I did. And so we were 100% confident and comfortable you know, be, that we were never going to get rid of this game. That we would ha- And so we <laughs> rip up cards. We, we um, put stickers on with abandon. Nothing more <laughs> satisfying than putting stickers on on um you know like your favorite card the one you use all the time and then suddenly you get buffed up uh, yeah to know that oh no i'm not gonna do that i'm gonna actually use a post-it note or some kind of i don't know but again different strokes for different strokes takes Folks. different strokes to rule the world <laughs> everyone's got a special kind of story hmm. everyone finds a way to shine don't matter what you got not a lot so what you have theirs you'll have yours and i'll have mine and together we'll be fine right I'm probably just revealed how old I am there. That's really nice, honey, but I don't know that I've heard that song. That is the theme song for the TV show Different Strokes. Oh, my God. As in, what you talking about, Willis? I think all I know from that is what you talking about, Willis. Yeah. Now the world don't move to the beat of just one drum. What might be right for you may not be right for some. A man is born, he's a man of means. Then along come two. They got nothing but the genes, but it takes different strokes. It takes different strokes. It takes different strokes to move the world. I really shouldn't have done that. That was very silly. I think my face is now red. Mm. Um, I love it when he sings to me. I will probably have to... uh... (laughs) You are not. That's awesome. All right. Everybody's got a special kind of story. Everybody finds a way to shine. But no matter what you got, no, it don't matter what you got, not a lot. So what? You have theirs, you have yours, and I'll have mine. And together we'll be fine, because it takes... Different, yeah, and so on. <laughs> awesome. All righty. Someday uh, somebody should ask you to do the C.J. McCoy song. Oh, uh, it's C.W. McCall song. Oh, I was No, close. they shouldn't. <laughs> that does not need to be recorded for posterity. That is something that had won my heart. Ah, yes. Number four, what kind of game would you want Isaac, Isaac Childress, designer of Bloomhaven, to make? What, what kind of game would you want Isaac to make the best version next? That's an oddly phrased <laughs> sentence. I assume you mean just what kind of game do we want to see Isaac make? Um, I've told Isaac. I just want him to make more content for Gloomhaven. As far, I mean, it, I, I think the, that box is amazing, and it's the closest thing to a video game like uh, you know Skyrim or something that the industry ever seen. I mean, he could just you know he, he, he could be rolling in dough for the next ten years, just releasing yearly content updates with you know new poster board maps that can go beside the new one new stickers new battle goals new uh, i just want more 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 How do you we could get it? in-depth stuff on each one of the uh character types yeah let's see but that's the easy question so what would i like him to do i whatever he wants um i mean his next game is founders of gloomhaven which is a very very different game uh, Jen and I have actually played half a game of it now. I'll be doing a run-through for it because it'll be going on Kickstarter in a few weeks or a month or something like that. That's a very, very different game. That's basically Isaac taking on uh, Splatter. Uh, that's, that's him making... Well, well, you'll see when I do the run-through. Anyway, um, right, that was it for Daniel. Then moving on to Jason. Wake up, computer. There we go. 
I moved to Seattle about a year ago, and one of the very first things I did was... was go to Dick's and have a Dick's Deluxe in Vanilla Shake. That is the first thing you should have done, but you did not talk about that. Oh, you went man. to Blue Highway Games. Oh, well, that's also a good choice. I'd love to hear from you what role the store had in getting you into modern board gaming. Uh, <laughs> I've been told the story by my coworkers, but it would be great to hear it from you, too. Then you should go listen to... A top 10 I did a few months ago, which was my first 10 games. I do the whole story there. Let's see here. You're going to put a link to that in the show notes so he doesn't have to go dig it up? Oh, he can just do a search for Rado first 10 games. Just a Google search will find it. Okay. Right. Uh, what do you think are the most important qualities of a good, friendly local game store? Since most FLGSs simply can't compete with the pricing of Amazon, Cool Stuff Inc., etc., what, if anything, can stores do to bring people into their doors? I don't know. I've never been around a friendly local game store. There's never been one where we live, ever. So I only have passing familiarity with them, I guess. What about that one when we lived in Burien? No, we that, was, Magic. that was... Huh? Mm-hmm. Remember that place we used to go for tournaments? That was, that was a comic book store. Um, it was a comic book store that sold Magic the Gathering. and Was that once, a friendly local few, comic book store then? Yes. I mean, friendly local game stores. I mean, this was, that what, was a, 15 years ago? More the, than the, that. The, the concept didn't exist then. Yeah. I mean, that was that, like back in 95, 96. I, I have a long time ago. Yeah. But, so. Yeah. Okay. I, I Friendly, inviting atmosphere. Um, cleanly. I mean, just all the normal yeah, stuff you need. Yeah, clean bathrooms. Yes, all the normal <laughs> stuff you need to be a good business. Um, and, I mean, take advantage of all the stuff that all the publishers are doing to try to <laughs> prop up you know, you know, brick-and-mortar stores with all the... The oh, I forget what they're called. They have a million different... I mean, it seems like every publisher now is doing different types of programs and support for game stores to try to engender local gaming communities, you know, uh, uh, tournament kits and um, special stands and all kinds of stuff. So take advantage of all those resources that are available to you. Um, Don't be a dinosaur stuck in your ways. There's a lot of support out there. But more than anything else, to have a nice, inviting, friendly store. Yep, with room to move around. Emphasize the F in FLGS. All righty. Sophie... Wonders. Since it's now my number two and number three favorite of all time, I was wondering if you and Jen would compare Shadowrun, Crossfire, and Gloomhaven. Um, let's see. Gameplay mechanisms, campaign elements, universe, artwork, etc. If someone likes one of them, is it a given that they will like the other? Hmm. That, I don't know. I don't... I mean, they're, they're both cooperative. They're both fantasy. They're both non-standard fantasy, I suppose. Mm. One's the weird science fiction fantasy cross, and the other one's a <laughs> new kind of dark fantasy universe. But you know, and they're, and they're both they're both very challenging. They are both really smart gameplay puzzle-wise. They're both very satisfying to play. But, I mean, I think they have more different... I mean, you know, one's a tactical skirmish miniatures game, and the other one's a abstract deck builder. And one takes a half an hour at the most. The other one tends to take 90 to, uh, minutes to two hours. You know, one has infinite replay because it's just, uh, you know, the, the level grinding. And, um, but, you know, but effectively just has one mission. 
Um, and it's just the, the variety of the scenarios you encounter within that mission structure, whereas the other one is just a, a metric ton. One is a super tiny box, and the other one's the biggest box ever. Uh, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff different. Hi, Daisy. Daisy is walking all over our microphones now. Good girl, Daisy. So, I don't know. Um, the other thing, I guess, Shadowrun Crossfire is very, is, is much more abstract. I mean, they're, it's a deck builder, so you're not there on the world. You don't see your character moving around. It's all... Um, so, no, I, I would not say... They're both phenomenal games. I think they're both great. They both have really good long-term campaign replayability. One's a lot cheaper than the other, although that one is also much more harder to find. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, other than the fact that they're cooperative, they and they, they have this kind of permanence to their campaign character leveling up. They're very, very different games, I would think. But hey, who cares what I think? <laughs> Watch the run-throughs and decide for yourself. That's why I make the run-throughs, so you can see it and decide for yourself. Okay, Sophie and Thomas. Mark wonders. You're really hoping that the problems that plagued myth even 2.0, to some degree, are going to be the first order of business for whoever purchases the Myth property from Megacon Games. Uh, while Gloomhaven has re- replaced Myth for me, I took Myth out of a trade pile and put it back on my shelf when I heard this news. Uh, probably a bit of wishful thinking on my part. I'm hoping the sale is the impetus that drives Myth to live up to its enormous potential. What, if anything, would you like to see as a result of the sale of the Myth property? Is there anything... That would get you get it back on the table for another look. I mean, I I, I bought the 2.0 rule books. I backed it on Kickstarter. I got all the stuff, and I you know if you'd asked me a year ago, would I have played it and figured it out by now? I would have said yes, of course I would, because I was still excited. I mean, I think the game is absolutely phenomenal, but yeah, there's no way it's ever going to hit the table as long as Gloomhaven exists. It just it cannot compete. So if you ask. What would I like to see as a result of the sale of the Myth property, which is a very interesting development, I do have to agree. I mean, well, obviously, cleaner, more straightforward rules. I was kind of bummed that with the 2.0 take of Myth, they kind of stepped away from some of the stuff I thought was really cool in the original Myth, where a lot of the storytelling was kind of more of a reflection of the, of, you know, the player's imagination rather than just like kind of pre-scripted stories. You know, they kind of doubled down on pre-scripted stories. I understand why, though. Most people want to have a story told to them. They don't want to tell a story. I get that. I understand. And, I mean, heck, if it, were, if it wants to compete with Gloomhaven, introduce legacy stuff. I'm going to post right down to it. Because that comes back to what I was saying to Daniel earlier. Um, that legacy, that, that thing that once you change a thing, it will never be unchanged. It makes it hard to go back to play a regular game where it's just all very transitory and nothing really means anything. You know, everything's just standalone. Chuck! Hey, this is the last question. Chuck wants a comparison between Capital and Minerva. Uh, let's see. <laughs> oh I've actually played both of them. Love to hear my thoughts of how similar or dissimilar. Well, they're both SimCity games. Jen won't remember either. If I showed you Capital, you'd remember that. I bet you won't remember Minerva, even if I showed it to you. Okay. We played it over at David and Angela's house. Um, <sighs> might I suggest watching the run-throughs and deciding for yourself? They're, they're very easily contrastable there. It would almost be as if you had played them yourself. But as you point out, I played them all the way through, and my run-throughs don't go all the way to the end. Did I finish Capitals? It's a short game. Capitals is certainly shorter. Minerva 
is I know it's getting that reprint as well with like the total. I mean, I was gonna say Capitals is a much nicer looking game, but it looks like the new reprint um, uh, Minerva looks gorgeous. So that's not an issue. Heck, Minerva is probably gonna look nicer actually. Minerva is a longer game and it's a harder game. And what by that I mean the puzzle is much more challenging. It really puts your brain through the ringer uh, in a good way. Capitals is a little bit more light and breezy. Um, Capitals, I could imagine playing two games of it back to back is, hey, that was fun. Let's do it again. Yeehaw. Whereas after Minerva's over, you're like, oh, must sleep for a thousand years. <laughs> that was hard. And again, in a good way. I think that'd probably be, you know, the main metric. I mean, what you're asking is, hey, if I can only buy one, which one should I get? I guess that would be the main determiner I would choose of just how long and how heavy a puzzle do you want. Right. Honey Pie, mm-hmm. that was it. Uh, short list of game questions. And, folks, we'll be right back. And Jen will be chiming in quite a bit more for the personal stuff right after this. <laughs> Okay, folks, the finish line is in sight. We just got to get through these last few questions. Let's hit it, honey pie. Starting with a question from Jose. Okay, Jose. I almost feel like I should end on this because Jose, he is not messing around. Are you ready, honey pie? Sure. Jose wants to know, what are our views, yours and mine, about God and the afterlife? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Wow. Well, we could probably do a whole podcast on that. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, golly, that. Ha- well, this is the personal section. Um, I don't think it's any particular secret that I am a very diehard and avowed atheist. <laughs> um, I have been ever since I was a little kid. I decided that for myself very, very early on that it was all a bunch of man-made. Um, it was a man-made support network. And um, if for people who need it in their lives, that's great. I'm glad they take comfort from it. I don't need it as long as it doesn't contribute to bad stuff in the world or at the very least is a net positive, fine. That's pretty much the beginning and ending of the decision for me. And Daisy is walking all over Jen, hitting the mic. Sorry, I just was pushing her away. Yep. Apparently Daisy would like to give her thoughts on God and the afterlife. So regarding the afterlife, Zed's dead, baby. It's, um, you know, once we're in the ground, that's it. So, you know, enjoy it while you got it. That's my attitude, and it informs my life decisions as well. Would you have anything you'd like to add to that, Honey Pie? I have lots of thoughts about that, but I don't know. I don't know that everybody wants to hear that. Okay. (laughs) Well, I'm sure some people do. Daisy, you have to leave the microphone alone. You know, Jen is literally holding her at arm's length. She is... You hold. You push me away. I will. I will come at you harder. I must get back. I, did I hear you say, "Come at me, bro"? Because I'm coming at you. I want that little black lapel mic. I must have it. I it looks so delicious. It's tasty. Um, it probably didn't help that I just had a piece of chocolate. Because now I. See yeah, that's. Chocolate. She's just trying to get past the mic to get to your mouth <laughs> to pull the uh, whatever morsels there are of chocolate out of your mouth. Yeah, that's not happening. Um. So you have nothing to say, Honey Pie. Uh, I could say the cliff notes. A, a couple of things. All right. I I read a very interesting book recently, and what it talked about was essentially what would happen if, say, there was a divine being, and divinity got bored, and because you know if you know everything and you've done everything and you can control everything, well, that's pretty boring. So what if actually all of life is divinity 
whatever you want to call that, um, having a human experience or having a, a, a life experience because without conflict, there is no peace. Without evil, there is no good. Without um, things that are in contrast. And so what if actually every bit of energy that's on the earth right now is actually a bit of divinity experiencing contrasts? And I thought that was very interesting because that actually answers a lot of these questions like, why are there bad people in the world? Why would God allow Hitler to exist? And things like that. Well, because you have to have contrasts. You cannot know the sweetness until you know the sour. And so I try and keep that idea in mind when I get frustrated with something that I don't think should be happening out there. Um, that perhaps this is just, we're all in a God simulation or the matrix or whatever. The programmer is having us run through experiences to compare and contrast. And so I think that that gives me some peace. I don't think that there is necessarily somebody who is actually controlling us or who cares particularly what happens to me, um, good or bad. But I think perhaps there's some programming that could be going on that is being allowed to run its course. Um, I think that could be as good an explanation as any. As far as an afterlife, if we are little bits of divinity living out a human experience, then I would expect that we would go back to the divinity, become part of the whole again, after we're done with our experience here, and rejoin the collective, if you will. And, you know, that's another good thing. If we are all part of one big something, then we really ought to treat every other living being as a brother or a sister or just part of ourselves and treat those people as if they were, if, if they were ourselves, how would we want to be treated? That's how we should treat them because they are ourselves. We're just, you know, two different specks of the same thing going about an existence. Does that mean you're ready to go vegan? No, I haven't quite made it that far yet. <laughs> uh, I'm certainly hoping that is not in our future. Well, okay, Jose. Hopefully that uh, was some food for thought. And meanwhile, Daisy is now trying to get to the dump truck again. Okie doke. Honey pie. Yeah. We're back to Larry, who wants to offer a happy belated 26th anniversary. Aw, And you. wonders, did we do anything special to celebrate? Oh, you know what? We quite often don't do anything on any particular day because I'm partially resistant to being manipulated. <laughs> Even when it's our own day. I just don't like like being told on Valentine's day or Christmas or whatever that I have to do something because it's societally prescribed. And I, that kind of includes having to do something specifically on a birthday or specifically on an anniversary. I think what we do is when we do something really cool or we plan for something really cool, we'll say, well, that will be our, our present to each other for our anniversary or our birthday or whatever it is. And that way we don't have to be locked into some, rather rigid scheme. We're still acknowledging the event, but we're doing it in a way that uh, works for us. Okie dokie. So no, we didn't do anything specifically on our anniversary. I guess that it leads into his follow-up. Do the two of you go out often for dinner or are you homebodies? We do not go out often for dinner, mainly because I like to cook and I also like to know what I'm eating. 
um, which I can control, of course, when I'm cooking. But I do actually, I do, I do enjoy going out and having a nice meal every so often. Um, I wouldn't say we're fancy food people. We're happy if we spend, I don't know, 15, 10 to 15 on a, on a meal each kind of a thing. I think if we, we spent a lot more than that, we'd probably need something really spectacular to make us feel it was worth the expenditure. I am uh, definitely a homebody. I will begrudgingly go out to dinner, but to me, it's a real pain in the tuchus. Having to wait forever to place the order and then wait forever for the food and then wait forever for the worst wait for the bill. Let me out of here. I'm only here to eat the morsels of things you're giving me, and I'd like to go now, please. Uh, it's just a pain. Uh, she, she'll, there's nothing. She'll give it up eventually. Uh, Jen's worried that Daisy is... I'm not quite sure what she's worried that he's going to do. She's not barking maniacally, which is good. Yeah. All righty. That is good. Uh, da, 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 da. You always say, all right, apparently Jen is not going to let it go, is going to go up and get Daisy so Daisy can climb all over her mic again. Well, she's calling at something. Tell you what, folks, we'll be right back. Okay. Okie doke. The lizard has been dealt with. Apparently there was a little tiny lizard and Daisy could not let it go. She really has it in for lizards. She does not treat all of her fellow <laughs> creatures as brothers and sisters, most certainly. Mm. Anyway, um, continuing with Larry's questions, he, Larry says, You always say you have the worst memory, and yet you can remember specific board games and their mechanisms from many years past. That is not true. How is that? It is not that. <laughs> I can barely remember mechanisms from games I played a month ago. I'm right there with you, Larry. I do not have any sort of memory along those lines at all. I've, if I, if I, I, I watch my own videos at 3x speed to remind myself how games play. I have to hit the rules the next day to remind myself. I have a very, very poor memory for these things, in fact. And, in fact, I will forget... A mechanism in the middle of a run-through. Sometimes you know, I will take the time to actually look it up right then, but I don't really want to do editing, so I tend not to do that. Sometimes I fly by the seat of my pants. My memory for these sorts of things is horrible. What other YouTube gaming channels do you religiously listen to? Oh, man, a lot. Too many to count. Actually, a few months ago, somewhere on BoardGameGeek, I... I did a countdown of my most, and that, and that already, just a few months old, is way out of date because I'm adding and dropping stations all the time. Too many to list. If you want to start a thread on my guild, guild at rod, or you know, guild.rado.com about it, and I'll post there. Um, that, that's just way too deep for, for this off the cuff sort of business. Both of us. What other podcasts, gaming or non-gaming, do we regularly listen to? I listen to the Dice Tower podcast, uh, the Weekly Album, and Cracked. And that's it. Yeah. Jen listens to... I listen to the Freakonomics and Tim Ferriss. Okay. It's just the, the Tim Ferriss show? It doesn't have a... Mm -hmm. All right. And it's F-E-R-I-S? I think it's double R, double S. All right. There you go. Who walks the dogs? Who let the dogs out? <laughs> do you frequent dog parks or do you walk them near your place? Yeah, I always walk them. Sometimes the husband joins us. And, well, actually, I wouldn't say sometimes, frequently. And uh, it, uh, we just usually walk 
near our house because we have a really beautiful, we live in a beautiful place and a very nice walk that's, actually either way we go out of our house is nice. I don't think there are any dog parks as you would know them anywhere in the entire country of Malta. I think there is one at Tali. Are you Uh, talking about that one we've gone to? I mean, because I wouldn't call that a dog park. uh, That's just a vacant lot that a dog (laughs) club occupies once a month. Yeah, actually that is, I think people would, no, um, there is a dog park at Taali that mm. is a fenced-in area specifically for people to take the dogs to exercise in. That's available all the time. Mm-hmm. All right. Yep, it's a public thing. Well, that is very far from us. Yep, that is on the actually not too far from when we lived in Emdina, actually, mm. but very far from here. So no, we don't go to the dog park. Yep. Jen, I recently saw the video that Richard recorded from a couple of years ago of you fusing glass. I found it fascinating. Do you make your bigger, how do you make bigger glass pieces? Do you ever sketch out what you plan to do or do you improvise? Do you ever create molds as a sculptor, um, as a sculptor would before making the glass piece? Are you so good now that you rarely fail while making a piece? (laughs) Or if something goes wrong, can you easily correct it on the fly? Okay, we are talking about fusing, right? Not lamp working. Uh, I'm going to assume it's fusing. I would be willing to bet Larry doesn't know the difference. Well... He saw you doing lamp working. Did, we have never made you know, a You've never video. made one of the fusing, right? No, I wasn't filming back when we were in England, so no. Okay, so he's talking about lamp working. Yes. Okay, because um, that's two different processes. I actually do fusing, uh, which is using a big kiln to fuse pieces of glass together into various things um, in my studio in England, and I go back once a year and do that. And what I do here Twice in Malta... Twice a year this year. Not really. No, just August. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then so, but what I do here is called lamp working, and that's actually working with the glass directly in a, in a flame that is uh, powered by propane and oxygen. So it gets quite hot. I think it gets up to about 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit, somewhere in there, um, while I'm working. So okay, you're going to have to ask me all those questions again. Sorry. No, yes, you have to have remembered them all oh, dear. to prove your memory. Okay. <laughs> Unless you would also like to uh, cop to a poor memory. As I just have done. Uh, where was it? Uh, I have a pretty good one, but you gave me a lot of questions. Right. Uh, so he, he found your... Uh, he said fusing glass, but he meant lampwork glass. How do you make bigger glass pieces? You don't. Uh, yeah. Pretty the much biggest, what you saw in that video is about as big as they get, right? Um, I can make them a little bit bigger, but the problem with uh, working with glass in a flame, and especially with the glass that I use, is you have to you keep everything in the same relative temperature range within a couple hundred degrees. Uh, so if you're working at the top of the piece versus the bottom of the piece, or let's say it's got little feet or it's got um, little pokey out ears or horns or something like that, all that stuff has to be within about 100 degrees of temperature. So um, the bigger you get, the harder it is to keep the piece all at one temperature. And if you don't keep it all at one temperature, you'll get cracks and it just breaks and that's not good. So um, that is the primary limiter is how, how big I can do is, is how... Um, how big I can work a piece while keeping it all the same temperature. Mm. So I would say the maximum size I can make is, is maybe two inches. And that's got to be a simple piece that doesn't have a lot of bumps or feet or nose nostrils or whatever on it. Um, And to go any bigger than that, you would have to go back to England and not work with an open flame, but instead fuse it in the big old kiln. Yeah. And that's good for stuff like making windowsill sculptures or bowls or jewelry that, you know, is more of a production 
way of making rather than an, a one because everything I make in the flame requires 100% of my attention the entire time it's being made whereas when I'm working with kiln form glass or fused glass I make the stuff I put it on a kiln shelf I put the kiln shelf in the kiln the kiln heats up and melts it all flat so it doesn't need my attention 100% of the time that it's in the making process it only needs it while I'm designing it and cutting the glass and putting it on the shelf <sighs> alrighty how do you make your bigger glass pieces? Oh, you were just talking about that, of course. Right. Uh, do you ever sketch out what you plan to make? Or uh, do you improvise? Uh, the vast majority of the time, I just, I'm a kinetic maker. So, to me, I, I can't... Is that a technical term? Uh, I don't know. It's, I've never actually heard it applied to anybody. But Did you just make it up yourself? And I've always thought of myself as a kinetic maker. Even when I'm doing fused glass, I very rarely sketch things Isn't out. Isn't kinetic just the measure of physical force applied? No, to me, it's making and moving. Okay. Yeah. Right. So being in the process of actually making. Uh, I know a lot of people do the sketching and the sketchbooks and the, all of that. But um, in fact, I got in trouble one time um, with the Sussex Guild. They, they were reviewing me, and I didn't have the proper documentation for my designs and my everything that they didn't think I was, I was making properly because I didn't have sketchbooks and stuff. But I just don't make that way. I never have. Um, I just I figure, well, let's put a bit of glass there, move it around, add another color, whatever, until it looks right or looks good. So I guess that's more of an intuitive way of making. Okie dokie. Uh, are, you, are you so good now that you rarely fail while making a piece? <laughs> or, if something goes wrong, can you easily correct it on the fly? And can you live with that? Oh, That being what's going on in the background. Yeah, that's Daisy. Daisy has gotten off the couch now and has once again resumed her hunt of the lizard that is very stupidly and suicidally <laughs> hanging out right on the other side of our front window, <laughs> mocking her. Daisy. As she, Daisy, come on, Daisy. Let it go. Daisy. Come here, Daisy. Come on, Daisy. Daisy. Come. Hey. No, she's not going to let it go. No, she wants lizard. that lizard dead. Um, tell you what, folks, we'll be back to glass hour right after. <laughs> Gosh. Okay. <laughs> Jen now has Daisy by the leash because Daisy would still happily run over and paw at the window. Um, but the lizard lives another day. And Honey Pie, I believe the question we were at was, are you perfect? No. Or are you flawless? I am definitely not flawless and definitely not perfect. Um, no, uh, I, I do still mess up. I still make multiples to make sure I'm going to be happy with the piece that the person is actually going to get. Um, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, I would rather make until I'm personally satisfied than to send out something I'm not happy with. Okie dokie. Okay. Back to me. Yes. Am I frustrated with the fact that YouTube no longer supports annotations? Yes. I was very unhappy with that. I mean, it's fine. The subtitle solution arguably is better because subtitles are viewable on every YouTube platform. My response is, why not make annotations viewable on every platform? I know they've been abused, but I would have been happy for them just to take the link functionality out of annotations and return them to what they're supposed to be, which is annotations, which I realize I'm probably the only channel on all of YouTube to actually use them for their original stated purpose. The, but the subtitles work pretty well, and I think actually the editor is better. I think it's actually easier for Paulo to 
annotate with the subtitle engine. It's just kind of annoying that I have to keep telling everybody to turn on the Klingon channel. I know you love Star Trek, but why did you decide to name <laughs> your closed captions the Klingon channel? Just for fun. Well, I had to pick a language. It's not like they would let me make a Goofs channel, which is what I'd prefer to do. And I'd say, turn on the Goofs channel, because it's weird. And, I mean, every video, there's going to be people who are seeing one of my videos for the first time. So that means for the rest of my life, I will have to explain, yes, turn on the Klingon channel. Yes, there's a reason why. Okay, now we can get to the run-through. But I, I had to choose a language. What would be better? I actually, it kind of came down to choosing Klingon or Esperanto, which I thought would have been fun, too. But I imagine most people don't know what Esperanto is. Do you know what Esperanto is, Honey Pie? Uh, isn't it the sort of phonetic English language? It was a language I believe was created manually in the 60s by the United Nations, I think, to be the true worldwide language. Ah. Um, you know, so I thought that would, and you know, the one feature film ever made stars William Shatner. Um, the whole thing's in Esperanto. So I thought about that, but I, yeah, for fun. I thought Klingon would be more fun. And it gives me a chance to say Kapla every once in a while and all of that. Let's see. And Daisy's getting more excited. Alrighty. I think we might not make it through this before we have to take him for a walk. But we shall see. We will soldier on. Am I frustrated by the fact that you... To- oh, that's why I did that. Am I semi-famous in my neighborhood? <laughs> no. Not at all. No, I'm not semi-famous in the entire country. I could probably count on one hand the number of people who are aware of the Rado Runs Through show. Maybe two hands, to be fair. I'm sure, if, uh, I'm sure a few people around you, if any, are into board gaming. I'm sure nobody in our immediate vicinity is within board gaming. We know of one couple within a few miles of us who do play game, but they're predominantly war gamers. Let's see here. Uh, um... Are they aware of the fact that you host a huge board game? No, I, I think, I don't know, does Christiane even know what I do? Our neighbor? No. Yeah. Nope. I, I think, it, um, in, in Gozo, I am totally incognito. <laughs> Are you so private that you know or speak with very few people where you live? That is the case. But, of course, the reality is there are very few people where we live. Mm-hmm. We live in an, a, the ground floor of an apartment building that was built for the sole purpose of having vacationers come for a couple weeks a year and hang out at the beach. And so for the vast majority of the year, there's nobody in this building or the building to the left or the right of us or the buildings down the street. Um, you know, we, there's one other single mom with her two kids that lives in this building rear round. We like her. She's very nice, but you know, She's got her kids. We've got our dogs, so it's not like our paths intertwine that much. We're just friendly neighbors, and that's about it. Yep. Jen! Yeah? Any particular reason why your parents chose the unusual spelling of your name? They didn't. They did not. First of all, for folks who don't know, Jen's name is spelled (laughs) J-E-N-E-F-E-R. How did that come about? Oh, well, I guess I've always been sort of artisty. And when I was younger, I decided to change it to that. Um... I guess probably it was 14, 13, somewhere in there. Uh, but it didn't help also that there was a billion other girls named Jennifer. Yep. Um, so it was just part, partly to stand out a little bit or be differentiated. But when I got married, uh, which I did at 21, mm-hmm. um, I just said, well, I'll just make it legal because I had to change my name anyway. You didn't have to. And, and actually... You made a terrible mistake. Yeah, I you? hyphenated and that's just been nothing but a hassle. 
So I would have, I should have just kept my name or taken your name, but not hyphenated. That was well. That's the last name. Do you regret the first name? Oh no, I liked my first name. I know, but you have to. You've probably spelled it to people to make sure they get it right fifty bajillion times. That's true, but that's okay. Hopefully, it's more memorable once people have you know have to stop and think about how to spell it. Mm, I don't know. Okay. We'll see. Okay. In the last podcast, you spoke of growing up very shy and introverted, yet at some point, you suddenly became very popular and had to adapt. Maybe you've talked about this before, but I don't recall offhand. What happened that caused your popularity to suddenly skyrocket, and what age was that? Have I talked about that? Yeah, I thought so. I thought we went into it a bit more last time. But anyway, go ahead and answer it again. Can't remember. Um, In high school... I was a shy, quiet, introverted, withdrawn kid who pretty much just wore headphones and a Walkman all the time, listening to the Beatles. A few people knew me. I was friends with a couple of people. They knew I was very sarcastic and um, funny, but I just I didn't talk out. I was really quiet. Always sat in the back of the classroom. I you know, was really self-conscious because I had incredibly bad acne, like really bad pizza face acne. And... Um, one day, in honors English class, a girl who I was sweet on, Jamie Harris, was being harassed by an upperclassman. Oh, I'm afraid the story, folks, is going to have to wait because now both dogs are climbing all over Jen. They're literally going to rip the microphone right off her shirt hey, because hey, they want to go for hey. a walk. Yeah, I am getting mauled. Yep, I think that's as good a um, cliffhanger as any, folks. Oh, God. All righty. All right. <laughs> Okay, everybody. Dogs are walked, and they seem to have finally calmed down. <laughs> They've collapsed from the heat. Yeah, so yeah, we had to go a bit earlier than normal, uh, so the sun hadn't quite calmed down. It's it's hot out there. Yeah. Like, uh, a little sweaty. But uh, <laughs> I don't really think that uh, negatively impacts the quality of the podcast, uh, unless the mic slips off of us or something like that. But anyway... <laughs> Let's see. Let's continue. So I think we were, uh, we have moving on to Kolja Geldmacher, who says, Eggs! Eggs! Hey, you two. In a recent podcast, you talked about your chickens and their eggs. And there was something about a six eggs per day intake? That sounds dangerous for two people. Or do the dogs get their share? Greetings, Kolja. Okay. Honey, would you like to address this? Well, I think you should address the cholesterol issue. But, um, no, we eat... No, you can address the whole thing. (laughs) We eat three eggs each for breakfast. Mm -hmm. And occasionally we have eggs for dinner as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe it wouldn't be so bad to go vegetarian as long as we could eat eggs still. Because actually, thinking about it, we don't necessarily eat a a lot of other meat. A little bit of bacon sometimes. Or a little bit of sausage. But, I don't know, I guess some chicken sometimes. But, I don't know, we just don't go through that much meat anymore. I snack on meat all day long. What are you talking about? Oh, yeah, you've got your pepperoni things that you... You eat. Yeah. He has these pepperoni sausage things that he likes Don't even to eat. joke about this vegetarian thing. What the heck are you talking about? <laughs> I was just thinking I about it on like the walk. I like where this is going. Okay. Well, uh, I don't think I could ever quite go vegan, but maybe I could go vegetarian as long as I could have my my eggs. Mm-hmm. Although, I don't know. I don't think I'd give, it, give up bacon. Would you like to address the it's too dangerous for two people 
He's worried for our health here. Ah, well, I think probably what he is worried about is the cholesterol level in eggs. And there have been a lot of studies um, done, and actually cholesterol is not bad for you. All your cells make cholesterol. Your brain runs on cholesterol. So it really is the proportion, the ratio of various types of cholesterol that's the important thing. And I've had that checked, and I am fine. Yep. Yeah, it's... It's this whole big thing, and Jen could give you several book recommendations to read that out. I mean, it goes back to the 60s. There was this big thing that happened in the late 70s that basically tricked an entire generation of humanity as a whole. Yes, unfortunately. Uh, it wasn't just Americans. Uh, this ridiculous now, what, it's going up on 40-year experiment that has led to you know just a worldwide decline in in pretty much every health marker imaginable because people believe that saturated fat and cholesterol is bad for you and in fact that's health food. Yeah, that is that's, what our bodies were meant to run on. Exactly, and um, instead we've replaced it with grains and sugar. Grains which just turn into sugar as soon as they hit your bloodstream anyway. So it's just sugar, sugar, sugar. And as a species, we've been killing ourselves instead of eating what we're supposed to eat. And one of the things we're supposed to eat is delicious eggs. Yep. They are just about nature's perfect food. I think they are nature's and perfect food. And the cholesterol thing has to do with. Man, if you'd asked us a few years ago, we could get into the really nitty-gritty specifics about the, the, high, the super high the, density, the LDL versus the HDL and the SLDL or something like that. The super low density. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and, and what actually causes inflammation, and um, and it's it's basically, well. Long story short, no, we do. We don't believe it's a dangerous force. In fact, we think we are healthier than we've ever been in our lives because we have finally shaken off the uh, shackles of the lie that has been told to all of us our entire lives. Yeah, the whole food pyramid with grains at the bottom. And, yeah, yeah. Yep. Anyway. And also, we live in Europe, as I know Colia does as well, um, where they aren't allowed to have uh, hydrogenated oils and yeah. all that nasty stuff. Yep. So... We feel like we're probably doing a lot of good things for our health. Indeed. Anyway, Nathan, moving on, wonders. He's, uh, he's always gotten the impression that Jen is less than comfortable on camera and to a lesser degree on the podcast. Having done it a few times now, is she more comfortable than she was originally? Seems to be. Oh, thank you. I think I am getting better. So I would say, yes, I am getting more comfortable. I would like to lose a few cameras worth of weight. Doesn't every camera <laughs> add 10 pounds? So I think I'm carrying around you know, three or four cameras. But um, <laughs> that, is, that is my thing. I've got to, I think I've just got to take up running. Unfortunately, I tend to gain weight if I don't run. Mm. And so I've just got to take it back up. All right. And question number two, are you sure we're using implicit correctly? I, I don't know. You didn't point out when we said it. I mean, implicit is implied basically it's the same root if it's if something's implicit it basically goes without saying yeah, whereas if it's explicit saying. then it's being explicitly stated it's being you know called out specifically well, uh, if we said it incorrectly please correct us and i will try to use it <laughs> we'll do a goofs um, yes a, uh, a grammar goofs but yes all righty alejandro Wonders what brand of ice cream do we miss most from the U.S.? Oh my gosh! He's I would in have Texas. Said, he's in Texas, uh-huh. so he's a bit biased towards Bluebell. Doesn't mm. know if we tried it, but anyway. Well, there's there's places that we've lived that have had local shops that have been wonderful. So, but I don't think he, that's what he's talking. About. He's probably like 
Ben and Jerry's or Tillamook. I'm sure he's talking about anything. If we missed Bluebell, we lived in Austin for a few years. We had Bluebell ice cream. Yeah, yeah. Although I, in Austin, I was much more partial to Amy's. To tell you the truth, I don't really remember much about the ice cream in Austin. <laughs> All right. I mainly remember the barbecue. Sure. And the excellent, oh my God, the margaritas at the Iguana Grill. <laughs> yeah, that's what I miss. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, I would say, I would have said Tillamook because brown cow used to be my favorite, favorite ice cream. Mm -hmm. But on the last two years when I've come back to the States, uh, we've gone to Safeway because that's where your mom likes to shop. And they have got some really excellent ice cream, Safeway brand ice cream. Yeah, Safeway Select, I think, is Safeway the Safeway Select, yeah. that uh, I come home and I tell Duck about it. And oh, oh, if there's only some way to get that across the Atlantic, I yeah. would gladly ship, ship some of that back. Yeah. But probably just as well. Actually, they have a really amazing... You haven't tried this one yet because you haven't been back since I told you. Last time it was salted caramel something or other. And that's yesterday's news now. That was yesterday's. This this year's news is a um, moose tracks. The mint moose tracks from Safeway. Oh, my God. Yes. Delicious. Okay. My dad even ate it over coffee ice cream. And dad always gets coffee ice cream whenever we're out at anywhere. Yeah, which means nobody will have any of his. Yep, it's all his. <laughs> You'll never finish None it. None of us and, like and coffee. No one ever wants it, yeah. Yep. So it's that good, though. All right. Safeway Select in general, moose tracks specifically. Mint moose Miss tracks. Mint moose tracks. What would I... Uh, and I would have used to said Ben and Jerry's chocolate therapy. Yeah. The last time I had it, it wasn't so, like, diehard chocolate. Saying it ain't so. Mm. Oh. Don't know what happened. Maybe I've had my... my th the therapy worked, and now I don't desire it anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, what do I miss? Probably more than anything else. I mean, well, I mentioned Amy's in Austin or in Texas or anywhere else, probably Cold Stone Creamery. Mm. And I, I just love that whole, we will make the ice cream for you right here, right now in front of you. What would you like it to be? And I'll admit, every, almost every time I ever go to Cold Stone, I just get the apple pie, the standard, the first thing I ever had there. Oh, my God, apple pie from Cold Stone Creamery is to die for. Let's see. And then, weren't we talking to somebody recently about the uh, Bend ice cream? The Yeah. Was that in the last podcast we talked about it? I think it was one of the live plays. Somebody who actually was in Bend said that they still had it. Yeah, it was the goodies, goodies. Goodies ice cream. cream. The, uh, the, the cookies and cream, but it's with chocolate ice cream instead of vanilla ice cream. Yeah. That stuff was just heavenly. And, yeah. But you know, oh, the 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 selection here is absolutely terrible. Of course, <laughs> they do have Ben and Jerry's here, but it's really expensive. Yeah, it's crazy expensive, and it's just chunky monkey and Brownie. fish food, and you know, just like the most basic basics, and that's yep. it. Yep, Although they have, I mean, good. every once in a while they have the speculus, which is amazing when that's in, yep. but then it disappears. Again. I like the caramel sutra. Yeah, these yep. days. Yeah, they have a few of the core things. Yeah, but it's like eight dollars. A pint. Yeah, Here. but on the other hand, you know they've got the uh, they've got the the they've got box gelato, which to an American is kind of the equivalent of a, of a box of soft serve ice cream. And and if you get the right kind of that stuff, it's pretty good. Yeah, but you know what the weird thing is? We've looked at the ingredients, and it's made with um, reconstituted skim milk. And um, Jen's obsessed with the ingredients of ice cream for reasons. Well, I, I am because actually I sort of assume that ice cream should have cream in it. <laughs> yeah, um, and but the oil that they use in it, instead of vegetable oil or some hydrogenated disgustingness, they use coconut oil. 
And that is the only reason I'm allowing us to eat this now, because I feel like coconut oil is really good for you. Mm -hmm. So uh, even though it's not, I mean, it is made with skim milk powder and coconut oil and flavorings and stuff. So I don't know. I mean, that seems very strange to me. It must be a lot cheaper for them than making it with actual milk product. Or maybe it's because of, I don't know, I don't know. People who are lactose and all, but it has, it has the skim milk stuff, so that doesn't make any sense. I don't know. But anyway, that is why, I, with the coconut oil, seems, no. seems reasonably healthy, <laughs> relatively. And Duck's favorite, favorite thing in the world is ice cream. So Yes. And my favorite flavor is just vanilla, when it boils right down to it. Boring. Yep. No, vanilla is a flavor. Uh, the, the, say vanilla is not a flavor, and then compare vanilla-flavored yogurt versus plain yogurt. Then you, what you're saying is you like sugar flavor. <laughs> <laughs> you do not respect the vanilla bean, obviously. I do like vanilla flavoring, actually. Yeah. I just, it's, just I think I feel it's a waste of a scoop of ice cream and mm. only get vanilla. Uh, good vanilla, nothing beats it. Anyway, though. If Jen was designing, was part of design, uh, was part of a design group for a game, which would be her favorite theme to paste in, if any, and what mechanics would she want there to be incorporated? Oh, so basically they're asking about what mechanics I like and what theme I like. Yeah, if you were working on making a game, yeah. Oh, well, I think we've asked, we've answered similar in previous podcasts, and. Um, Right now, my favorite thing to think about are alternate timelines, like what would have happened if, uh, say, the Nazis won, or what would have happened if uh, Genghis Khan's armies would have continued marching across Europe, or what would have happened if uh, JFK hadn't gotten assassinated, or, you know, those kinds of things. So um, I always love TV shows that are about going back and making different changes to the timeline. Mm -hmm. So... I would say something like that. And what was the other question? Oh, mechanics. Oh, I don't know. I like things that have like rondelles or um, something clever that, that changes the game every round but isn't too complicated. I don't want a whole bunch of fussy rules and minutia to deal with. But I do like something that, that switches things up a bit. Okie dokie. Alejandro would also like to know that if we decide to move to the States, back to the States, do we move back to Seattle, or what state do you guys find most convenient or appealing to move back? Ooh. Well, I think it would be Seattle, because your mom lives in that area. Oh, and yeah. I've also, also Alejandro is a monster, because he did attach some pictures of him at the Salt Lake. <gasps> there it is right here, in, in the big, the oh big my pit itself. Oh my gosh. That looks awesome. Yep. Look at Is those your mouth sausages. Watering? Yeah, definitely. Oh, I can almost smell it. Look at the look at the flavor molecules going up into the air. <laughs> Yum. Yeah. He looks good there. You're a monster, Alejandro. <laughs> I'll never forgive you. Um, yeah, so I would say Washington State, and I'm especially happy and proud to call myself a Washingtonian. Today, which is the day after the Paris talks, mm. um, our governor has said that they are going to just pretend that the United States signed the agreement and proceed accordingly. So, mm. yay, Washington! So is that your metric for what state we would move to, whichever one is in most stark opposition to our present president? I don't even want to say that word <laughs> in response to that yeah. particular office. The California current person in charge. Is, uh, 
taking the lead as well. Yeah, I know. I agree. Uh, and I really did enjoy San Diego when I was there a mm -hmm. few months ago. I, I could definitely move to San Diego if it wasn't in California. Mm -hmm. as far as tax purposes, because taxes are crazy in California. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I actually am very fond of Arizona as well, because um, my dad and stepmom live there, and I think it's a beautiful state, but politically it's just crazy. I, I just don't understand what they're doing there. Um, <laughs> yes, you're, so, you're not impressed what, with, um, what Nancy says, right? Yeah, yeah, that just seems like they're... Well, anyway, I don't want to get into all that. So this would be your top three? Arizona, Washington, and California? I suppose so. Yeah, mainly because that's where family are. I mean, mm -hmm. all of our family are in, in one well, of those He did ask states. what would be most convenient and yeah. appealing. So, yeah, close to family. So, I guess not Maine, which would be about as far away as you could get from your entire yeah, family. Might as well stay that would be triangulated Malta. to be equally distant from all of them. Yep. Okay. And let's see. One more, honey pie. Oh, you know what? I did also, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by um, the Albuquerque area of. Mexico, New Mexico as well, um, only because there's a bullseye outlet there, um, a resource center, which is bullseye is the company I buy most of my glass from. Mm -hmm. um, and I just think it would be really nice to be near a resource center so I could take classes and really get involved in the glass community. Okie dokie. And it seems like a beautiful place. There you go. Okay. But I've never been. I've only seen pictures. Mm. But, and, but someday we'll go there and we'll check it out. And it's fun to spell. Hmm. Last question from Robin. I was just curious if I'm aware of the PC game Kinseed. It is, wrap, is it wrapping up on Kickstarter right now? Oh, no. Yes, I am. Uh, who is that? That's uh, Charlie. And who's he working with? Neil, I think. I think it's Neil and Charlie working on that. A couple of my coworkers from Lionhead days. Oh. Uh, you probably remember Charlie, right? Remember, remember there was a fellow who stayed in our... Basement? Basement for a while? Uh, yes. Yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, well, of course, when Lionhead closed down, he and Neil, who I'm sure you never, I don't imagine you ever met, are doing a, it, it looks very, very neat. Uh, if I played more video games, I'd definitely be interested. But yes, everybody go check it out. K-Y-N-S-E-E-D. Back them. They are a wonderful couple of guys. You know, they were a big part of making Fable what it was. Um, you know, yeah, I, I really love Charlie. I mean, yeah, Neil's cool too. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I, I wish them nothing but the best of success. I, I haven't looked at it for a while. I remember I looked at it a few months ago and thought, well, it actually looks really nice. Uh, um, you know, really kind of has a kind of mythic beauty to it, even though you know it's kind of low res pixel art. You know, but a, a purposeful mythic beauty, and while still mixing in some of the kind of body nature of Fable. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm very excited about it. Do you know the developers? Was the question? Yes, I do. Uh, they're great guys. They deserve all the success in the world. And that's it, Honey Pie. Oh, we my are done, dig, doggity, done. Thanks for listening, everybody. Okay. Actually, can I just say one more thing? Yes. Harkening back to the very first question about religion and okay. stuff. Okay. I don't know that I want to say that I necessarily believe that. I just. I was kind of wondering where have, you were going with that. Yeah, because I'm just saying it's something I'm thinking about at the moment. It seems like it could be a reasonable premise. <laughs> um, it, there's no reason why it couldn't be that way, but I'm just kind of thinking about it. So mm. I guess that's the latest thing in my thinking about that right. religious thingy. Yeah. Question. Okay. Started with religion, ending with religion. Give me some of that old time religion is good enough for me. We'll pray to Aphrodite. 
She wears a see-through nighty, and it's good enough for me. You don't know that? <laughs> I think you should Jen sing doesn't some more. Know any sing of us songs. out, Mr. No. Ham. <laughs> All right, everybody. As always, questions can go to questions at rotto.com. And otherwise, thanks for listening. Have a very, very nice day. Talk to you later. So long. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.